Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, episode 148, VGA 2017 Awards. We'd like to thank all our Patreon backers for helping us bring you an excellent holiday episode. You're listening to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron, but with better lip syncing. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast about board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. And Anthony, I am hoping my voice holds up through this whole absolutely outrageous episode. The best of 2017, but not the best of 2017 when it comes to my voice. <laughs> yeah, this is the problem with recording in December, guys. Chris is sick, so just pretend everything sounds normal, right? That's all I'm saying, guys, because, you know, if you're going to share components, just keep your hands clean. That's all I'm saying. I'll take one for the team, but viruses should only happen in the game viral, not in real life, so... I'm a little bit under the weather, but I'm here for the episode, and we're just going to push through a little bit. So, you know, I might go into Barry White territory at times, and I might just just totally black out at times. So Anthony will just keep <laughs> going, and no one will notice the difference. And uh, whoever gets this episode as, you know, found footage later on, they can kind of piece together what happened to me and uh, hopefully at some point avenge my, you know, viral murderer. So it's a good start <laughs> to a holiday episode. That's how I look at it. Yeah, all the biologists out there. Avenge yeah. him. <laughs> I mean, that's that's our core audience there. You know, we're all a bunch of super nerds. So, uh, you know, avenge me, man. I'm telling you. All right. So until later, when we get into all the vengeance that will have to happen, we're going to talk about board games, Anthony. Really? Well, I was oh. going to talk about Star Wars, but I didn't get a chance to see the movie. And I know everybody was uh. interested in our, you know, recap of Star Wars. So I uh, can't spoil Star Wars. Sorry, guys. Yeah, we had a very funny uh, five-minute conversation in which I tried to explain how much I liked the new Star Wars movie without actually describing anything about the new Star Wars movie uh, for Chris, who is sick and has not seen the movie yet. Hopefully you enjoyed the movie and enjoying the holiday season and enjoying family and friends at the game table. So for our feature review, we are going to be talking about the Board Gamers Anonymous 2017 Awards. We're going to be talking about the best 25 board games because it's the holiday season it's got to be the top 25 and then anthony and i are going to pick out our top four i get two and anthony gets two the games that we've been talking about the games that we've been loving getting to the table and really the 25 top games that really deserve your attention this holiday season whether you're picking up new games to add to your collection or to add someone else's collection or if you just see at someone's table these games are definitely the best of 2017. Okay, Anthony, so why don't you start us off with one of your top games for 2017? Yeah, I mean, one of the top games I got a chance to play this year, came out this year, of course, was Anachrony. Anachrony is this brilliant take on really just worker placement, but it brings in all these new elements from time travel to... Uh, building up these different workers and kind of assigning them to different possible actions they can take. It's very, very fun. You see it on the table. It looks just like a billion things thrown at the board, but in the end, it all works seamlessly. It's one of the quickest, easiest, heavy, heavy euros 
that I've seen to learn and teach. And it's one of my favorites of 2017. All right. Well, a game that has a little bit of everything. So if there ever was a Euro mixer, it would be Clans of Caledonia. This is a game that utilizes elements from Marco Polo, from Terra Mystica, from even Gaia Project and Agricola. Basically, it's all about building farms across these different areas, across these waters, being able to complete contracts, watching the market going up and down and manipulating that market to the best of your ability. And basically did a little bit of everything. It was just, it was this really surprising, fantastic little Kickstarter. Clans of Caledonia, 2017. All right. So next one here, I got a chance to play is Sagrada. This is a game about building stained glass windows. It's really just a dice rolling, dice manipulation game. But the mix of dozens of different cards for where to place your dice in terms of both number and color and these various different player powers that you can activate both in the multiplayer game, which plays a pretty healthy player account and the solo game makes it one of my favorites from this year. That's Sagrada. Well, a game that I got a chance to preview so long ago in its prototype stage is Century Spice Road slash Gollum Edition. Now, when I first got my hands on this, I was just like, wow, this is actually a solid game and then didn't hear anything about it. And obviously everything that went on with Asmodee and, and Plan B games, you weren't sure if you were going to see this game again. But what's really interesting, fascinating, and what really took 2017 by storm with Century Spice Road and it's kind of upgraded artistically, eh, slightly different as far as using different crystals and the different artwork, is that it was a gateway the game that, as, that gamers would be fine to sit down and play. You're building a simple engine with cards, you're transforming spices or gems into different colors, and then you are resolving contracts. This plays with everybody, but as I said, you never feel like the game is being dumbed down to you you always want to have the most efficient and the most efficient engine as possible in your hand. It's a great game, and depending on what kind of version you really want, it's still the same game. Century Spice Road slash Gollum Edition. All right, so Dice Forge is a game that I thought looked super duper gimmicky. <laughs> there have been other games that tried to build your own dice; they didn't really work, but this one somehow does. Uh, from the designer of other amazing games like Seasons, and it just works in a way that I didn't expect it to work. Very simple, very accessible, very easy to teach, easy to pop in and out the different die faces, and lots of different fun ways to kind of play it out. This is a surprise hit for me, and one that I've come back to several, several times this year. That's Dice Forge. An ongoing joke for quite some time was how often I almost got to play Twilight Imperium 3. So many times so that I almost didn't want to play it just because it would have ended the running gag that was going on. Well, this convention season, thanks to Anthony and thanks to some great planning, I actually got to play Twilight Imperium 4, which was amazing. And I was so glad that I actually got it to the table. It's definitely a convention game. But you know what? It doesn't play the crazy number of hours everyone kind of freaked out about. It does play long, but it's epic. It's massive. It's got great miniatures. It's got great, you know, strategic and tactical gameplay. It's just a truly phenomenal game. If you do get a chance to actually sit down at the table and play this game, do so. Don't let it be a running gag. 
sit down and play Twilight Imperium 4. All right, so a game that I was very excited for just because of the theme alone and because of the pedigree of the designer was Yamatai uh, from Bruno Cathala, who had previously designed Five Tribes. So from Days of Wonder, this one tasked you with exploring different islands and building different buildings and chaining together all these different abilities. Had a very unique take on both moving your own pieces out and building buildings of your own color and kind of the shared nature of the ships, which everybody owned, but individuals would place. So you could take advantage of other people's placements and swoop in and build different things. And you had to really think about what you were doing, where were you doing it? How are you setting up other players? The rule book is three pages long, very quick and easy to teach. And yet so much depth here, very much like five tribes. This is a game that surprised me not in that I liked it, because I expected to, but in the depth that is there when you really dig into it. And that's Yamatai. Well, a game that I was looking forward to coming out for you know quite some time, just by the artwork and the production alone, was Blue Orange's game's Photosynthesis. Now, you know about this game. It's all about the trees. The phenomenal 3D trees on the board, no matter where you were at a convention or a game night, you saw this game pretty far off. Now, yes, it's an abstract game, but it's a really aggressive, interesting, dynamic abstract game in which thematically it plays out so smartly, right? You're basically trying to capture as much sunlight as possible in order to grow your trees, in order to score victory points, and you don't want to stand in anyone's shadow because then you're going to lose all that sunlight. It's interesting, dynamic, and as I said, even a little bit aggressive as far as blocking other players out. If you're looking for a great abstract game that's a little bit more than just that, photosynthesis. All right, The Lost Expedition tackled a theme that I really enjoy. This whole exploration in the jungle. Maybe it's the Indiana Jones fan of me from my childhood. But this is a game that really does the theme quite well. You are traveling into the jungle. You are turning over cards constantly that have different things you have to achieve, different abilities you gain, um, different challenges you're going to face and things you're going to lose and you have to kind of balance it out and try to stay alive until you get to the end and reach the mystical city of el dorado the lost city of z whatever you want to call it the gameplay is both competitive and cooperative which of course means it plays solo in my opinion it plays best solo and cooperative mode is quite good as well however you look at it this game with its fantastic artwork brilliant production by osprey publishing which does great you know production period and all the different ways you can kind of approach the game and tackle it from different angles was one of the best and most interesting kind of small accessible card games I played this year. That's the Lost Expedition. City. I'm going to talk about the quest for El Dorado. This is definitely one of the most wanted games from Spiel this year. Basically, it's a race game and you are purchasing cards in order to help you race through the forest, race through the waters, race through the desert picking out the right cards at the right time, utilizing your hands to the best of the ability, not overwhelming your hand because otherwise it's going to take you a long time to get through these dense, dense places. It's a quick, fast game, plays pretty much everybody, and with that kind of variable map setup, you can play this game pretty much forever. That's a quest for El Dorado. Alrighty. So another game that I was super psyched about, we actually interviewed Ignacy Trevacek back in February or January, uh, early in the year about this game on the solo podcast was First Martians. This is the spacefaring edition of the Robinson Crusoe formula. And Robinson Crusoe is a game I loved solo. First Martians pulls it off in an interesting, unique way. And if you look past the 
admittedly massive rules problems, the game is very solidly constructed. And it works quite well in terms of deconstructing the ideas of an adventure game and making it more of a survival game. I really enjoy the way it kind of works together, the flow of the game, and the campaigns in particular, which are really just kind of one-shots, but are beautiful, fairly long one-shots, are quite good. And I look forward to more releases on that front from Portal. So that's First Martians. Well, one of the games that always makes me happy is Caverna. And to hear that there was a two-player version, Caverna, Cave versus Cave, that's outrageous. And it was so outrageous that I actually spent a ridiculous amount of time online to pick this game up and only to be told that it's sold out, even though they said it would be there. <sighs> Nonetheless, got a chance to play this game. Really enjoyed the interesting way in which you are clearing out your tunnel, just like you do in Caverna. But the more that you do that, the more options for rooms. Because digging out a spot of tunnel flips over and becomes a specialty room that your opponent can build as part of their cave. So timing is a very big part of this game. And even though it's a shrunk down, smaller version of Caverna, it definitely stands up to its big brother. That is Caverna, Cave vs. Cave. So the next one for me was a game that I like rolled the dice on in terms of backing on Kickstarter. That's Merlin uh, from Stefan Feld, published by Queen Games. And if you've ever backed a game from Queen Games on Kickstarter, you know what I mean. Uh, they've been notoriously late, overpriced, and then instantly go on Amazon for a third of the price, and it's very frustrating. But I went for it anyways because it was a Feld, and I'm, I'm kind of glad I did. So this is a fairly unique Feld game in that it is not a crazy high-scoring game. There's a little bit of point salad here, but you're not going to score a ton of points. Most scores are in the 50s and 60s at the most. But it has a very unique angle in that you have a kind of a rondelle in which you can go forward or backward depending if you're using merlin or your own pieces and you're doing that based on die rolls so it's almost a roll and move game but with a felled twist it has a lot of interesting unique mechanisms to it the more i play it the more i enjoy it because the more depth that kind of comes out of it at first it's a very deceptively simple game but the more you play it the more you see how many things you can do so i recommend obviously playing this with a group of people who've played it as well because you can all kind of delve into it a little bit more and that's Merlin, Stefan Feld. Well, a game that I was really looking forward to and was so surprised that the game lived up once again to its big brother's kind of britches here is Jump Drive. Now, we've talked about Roll for the Galaxy. We've talked about Race for the Galaxy. Jump Drive is great because not only does it play with smaller player counts, but it plays so well with smaller player counts. And it's, once again... Another race game. Basically, you are building up using limited resources and still at the same time, you're using military to settle, to develop. You're building a wonderful little tableau of your galaxy and you're trying to, once again, to score as many victory points as possible. So if you do like race or if you do like roll or if you just do like anything as far as collecting victory points in a Euro mechanic, you can't really do much better than Jump Drive. So Bezier Games, their big release that I was waiting for this year was Palaces of Mad King Ludwig, which never came out here. But fortunately, Whistle Stop from Scott Caputo and the same publisher did come out. And this game was fantastic. It is a very simplified, boiled down, tiling game, kind of in the vein of your ticket to rides or your, you know, your general train building, route building games 
but you are building the roots yourself as you go. You start with this big empty board space, literally empty, kind of built by a frame, and you play tiles out and try to reach the end with all of your trains and see who has a high score in the end. Game takes an hour, hour and a half tops. Lots of replayability because you're building the board yourself every time and fairly easy to teach. I've had a blast with this one. That's Whistle Stop from Bezier Games. Well, I was really surprised and I never thought I would want to see another Splendor-like game pop up there, but Majesty for the Realm is another quick-playing gateway game that I was really enjoying right from the start. Now, I talked about this a while back as far as an acquisition disorder, and once I got to the table, it was definitely something I wanted to see again and again. Basically, you're activating a tableau of different buildings by picking a card from a market, and then as far as utilizing those same buildings over and over again by placing more and more additional cards, you kind of strengthen that effect. But at the end of the game, you're going to score victory points from a number of different options, including the diversity that you have. This game is great, and yes, it's still a Splendor kind of game from that great designer because you're going to have these wonderful little chits. So if you're looking for a great gateway game and you're burnt out in Splendor, check out Majesty for the Realm. So 2017 was kind of the year of the escape room game. There was a whole bunch of these released from several different publishers, including the Exit series, which won at the Spiel, and then the Unlock series from Asmodee. But I'll be honest, the Spiel or no Spiel... Uh, I do prefer the Unlock series, and the the reason for that is that it's replayable. It uses a an app, so it's kind of on a set timer, and there's several different ways to kind of manipulate or work with the game in terms of player count and how you play through it. So Unlock is my choice for my favorite escape room style game from 2017, and this is a genre of game that I really, really enjoy. It's all puzzles and just lots and lots of heady thinking that you can play with one person or six people, and it works equally well, I think, with any of those player counts. So if you enjoy that style of play, if you enjoy the puzzles, if you want to kind of bring in your non-gamer friends and, and challenge them with something new and unique, Unlock is a really cool way to do it. I never thought that I would ever be, I would say, go out of my way to be purchasing word games. You know, Scrabble has such a large presence in my gaming family history that I just want to kind of got burnt down that way. But Tim Fowers has brought me around and brought me around because he's produced such amazing card games and board games based on building words. Now, his newest edition, Hardback, at least for me, I found has been his best edition. And basically, it's all about building words, but when you're building words, you are utilizing, I guess, the genre of those books in order to score additional points and activate special abilities. So you can almost be a certain kind of writer. And in some ways, it utilizes different mechanics than we've seen previously. So instead of the Dominion mechanic, you're looking at the Star Realms mechanic, which is something I really do enjoy. So whether you are a word gamer or not, hardback is something definitely you should take a look at. There are not a lot of super late year releases on this list. A lot of games came out in the last like six weeks. And we're not mentioning a ton of those just because we haven't gotten enough plays in. But one game that I definitely wanted to mention was Civilization New Dawn. Uh, this is from Fantasy Flight Games. And it is a very simplified, boiled down version of Sid Meier Civilization that takes 90 minutes or so, maybe two hours 
um, about half the time of the full bore Sid Meier's Civilization board game that you might be familiar with. And it does it in a very, very clever way. The card play mechanisms in this game are fantastic. I love the idea of having these five different possible actions you can take. They rotate through based on which one you've taken last, and they get more powerful as they kind of move up. And you have to kind of manage them and balance them against what you need to do and when you need to do it and try to meet these three victory conditions, which you kind of get to choose which one you want to go for on each of the three cards. I really, really enjoy it. It's a fun way to take a 4X game, boil it down, and make it accessible in a 90 to 120-minute package, which, let's be honest, no 4X game has managed to pull off yet, in my opinion, effectively. And as my favorite genre, this is a game that I'm super glad exists because I get to play it, unlike the other Civilization. That is Civilization New Dawn from Fantasy Flight. Each year, Anthony and I look for something that's unique in board gaming. And while they're typically, and especially more and more these days, better and better games, it's harder to find something that just stands out. One game that stands out for sure is Paramedics Clear. Now, this game from Smirk and Dagger Games stands out for a number of different things. First off, it's really loud, interesting, dynamic app that kind of motivates you to triage your patients, get them the medical treatment they, they need, get new patients out to you, and also mess with your opponents by throwing them last-second patients that they have to take care of immediately. Being able to pick from a market to kind of pick out the the right resources that you need, using a set collection mechanic, building up your tableau a little bit with special abilities. It's fun, it's dynamic, it's interesting, and it's really something brand new and unique for 2017. That's Paramedics Clear. Card City XL is a game Chris actually pointed out to me on Kickstarter, and it's from Albion Viard, and I've played his previous games, Tramways, Small City, uh, and they're fantastic games because they manage to take very simple concepts and make them decently complex in a big heavy package card city does similar things in that all you're doing every turn is you're playing a card into a tableau the tableau is always going to be roughly the same size but it needs to follow several different rules and lots of different things can chain off of each other in terms of placement uh, to generate other card placements and income and different point opportunities but that's not even it, because there are dozens of different variants and additions you can make to the game in the rulebook that can make it more complicated, make it more interesting, make it longer, make it bigger, make it smaller. The, gar the game comes with 200-something different variants when you combine all these different ways to play the game. And combined with a solo mode, which obviously I love, it's quite the challenging little puzzle that is surprisingly easy to teach and yet very, very hard to master. Uh, it's the kind of game I always enjoy because it offers endless accessibility for somebody who loves heavy games, but it makes it something I can bring to the table and other people can play without feeling super overwhelmed right from the start. So that's Card City XL. It wasn't that long ago that when Days of Wonder released a game, it was an event. Unfortunately, these days, because Asmodee is so large and has taken over so many companies... An Asmodee release that comes from Days of Wonder is almost going underneath the radar. But Yamatai, which is a beautiful production and a wonderful little experience of a game, is something that really shouldn't go beneath your radar. Once again, Days of Wonder really knows how to produce a game. Typically, it's their one-a-year shot, 
and you are building, you are challenging your opponents. It is a race game to when do you clear out? When do you take over? And it's something that's just enjoyable, just in, I would say, just beyond the gateway, but in that sweet, sweet spot that Days of Wonder owns. That's Yamatai from Days of Wonder. All right, so now on to our top four for 2017. As I said, there's been some tremendous games. We just went through so many tremendous games. So, Anthony, why don't you give us one of your top two picks for 2017? All right, guys. So, no huge surprise here. I was a huge advocate for this game the moment it reached my hands, well before it jumped into number two on Board Game Geek, which even I'm surprised by, despite how much I love it. And that's Gloomhaven. This game manages to take the adventure game in this genre, which I want to like. I love story. I love narrative. I love this theme, the fantasy, sci-fi, whatever, any theme. I just love all these ideas. But frequently, adventure games are boring. You move, you roll, you move, you roll, you fight, you move, you roll. It is what it is. But Gloomhaven manages to take that entire genre, flip it on its head, add this massively engaging puzzle element in terms of the card play, removing dice from the mechanics entirely, thank you, and creating a game that is accessible to some degree, but more importantly, engaging and unique and hard, frequently very hard. It's a challenging game, but I like that because it's not hard, but with dice, it's hard because you need to puzzle out what to do. Uh, based on the placement and what the enemies are doing and the different decks and everything else. This game is everything Kickstarter promises in board games, but so frequently does not deliver. It is bombastic. It is huge. It is overly massive in terms of what you get out of the box. It's nearly impossible if you look at what uh, you know a major publisher could produce, and yet it exists. Every week when I got the updates from the designer, Isaac Childress, I was like, there's no way he's going to get this pulled off. There's no way it's going to happen. And yet in the end, he not only did it, he exceeded what he originally promised. And now it's one of the best games ever on BoardGameGeek and several other lists, including my own. Um, it's astounding. So Gloomhaven was amazing. And I'm super glad that I backed it early. So I had a chance to play it all year long. Yeah, this game... I don't know. There, there's a lot of stories for 2017, and we'll get to that pretty soon in the upcoming episodes. But I don't think there's a bigger story than Gloomhaven. And I think by weight, I don't think there's a bigger game than Gloomhaven. <laughs> That's for true. <laughs> so I unfortunately haven't gotten a chance to get this one to the table, but everyone that I've seen get this game to the table have has truly loved it. And... As you said, it's a phenomenal game. It's 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 a shocking, surprising invention creation. And I don't want to go on too much more because we definitely will talk about this in a later episode as we wrap up the year. But yes, absolutely. All about Gloomhaven. All right. So one of the big games I want to talk about is 878 Vikings, Invasions of England. Now, before modern board games really got into my veins and became an obsession. It was all about risk. Back in the day, if you could find a modern board game, they were few and very far between. But risk was really something that 
at the time felt modern, right? It wasn't a roll and move game. You really had to think strategically. You had to play your cards at the right time. You had to take over the right areas. When do you invade? When do you defend? When do you not want to knock out your opponent because they're holding up a certain flank for you? It's really a challenging, difficult game that it comes down to those final few dice rolls that matter everything to you. And I'll tell you, some of my best gaming memories come down to having friends stand up on top of their chair, kind of giving some extra English to their dice as they roll them, hoping that they'll get the right number. Now, I found that, actually, surprisingly enough, in 878 Vikings, as far as that real threat, as far as the Viking invasion coming in and being part of these English clans trying to hold itself together, all these different areas bonding together trying to hold off to this invasion barely in order to push back and win or being part of the Vikings and trying to attack and take down this huge monarchy, all these different kings that are controlling these this area. Now, especially being able to see this game firsthand from Academy Games and being able to see these wonderful little miniatures updated from the little cubes. This was a, another great Kickstarter game. And having all the different scenarios, having the expansions that adds more of the historical content to this game, and being able to play two to four players, but basically it's a two-player game. It's really not that heavy. It's a lot of fun. It comes down to what cards you play, allowing you to do what certain actions. It comes down to those historic leaders leading your troops to victory. And once again, just like in Risk, it comes down to those dice rolls that make all the difference in the world. Yeah, this game is fantastic, and it just takes everything that I loved about 1775 and 1754 and just blows it out times 100. So 100% agree on this one. Yeah, Bo Beckett, David Kimball, Jeff Steppel, outstanding game from Academy Games. Really, really grateful. So, Anthony, what's your last game for 2017? All right, so this game is so surprising for me, at least, in that I completely ignored it many times over. Many, many opportunities I could have picked up Spirit Island, backed it on Kickstarter, tracked it down at Gen Con, tracked it down at Origins, any of these things, and yet I chose not to because it was a cooperative game. So I'm not a big co-op guy. Uh, I, I certainly like them. They're fine, but it's not something I'll track down. They tend to be a little lighter. They tend to be a little simpler. They're not super... They're challenging because they're designed to, to beat you, but they're not challenging in terms of like actual decision-making. They're just hard for no reason spirit island does everything i would actually want a cooperative game to do because it acts like a heavy game and so few of these games pull that off uh it's released by greater than games and there's a designer eric royce and it was originally funded through kickstarter and just came out in august and was immediately unavailable i think it just now finally got the reprint out but the whole idea is that you are a spirit on an island inhabited by natives of that island being invaded by some imperial power so base game you're just facing some faceless you know enemy from from europe or wherever um but you can also play with specific countries invading um all of them european of course and the idea is that you are as a spirit you have a special special abilities you could be an earth spirit or a fire spirit or a water spirit but whatever it is you are very, very asymmetrical from the rest of the spirits. You look at the player boards and everything is very different. Most cooperative games, you have one special ability that makes you stand out and you kind of fit into the team dynamic. 
in this game, you are your own thing. Everything you do is very different from what everybody else does, and you will focus solely on what you do, you know. And the natives, while they're important, are not the focus of the game. It's the spirits kind of fighting and working with them on their behalf to kind of fight off the enemies and, and beat them, you know. And the only way to beat them is to clear them of the map. You know, at the beginning of the game, you need to completely clear them. As the game goes on, you just need to clear different parts of them because they have different tiers that they kind of build up on the map. The game is just as a puzzle, as a cooperative game, as a strategy game, fantastically deep. I love the theme. I love that it turns the whole idea of the, you know, imperialistic colonizing uh, euro on its head and focuses on the other side of that and kind of what it means to be colonized and how you fight back. But I also love the idea of just taking those basic mechanics of a co-op and ramping them up to 11 and giving you all these different difficulty options and making a game that's just so deep and so interesting on so many levels. And you can play it, I play it solo, but I also play it with other people. And every time you play a different spirit, it's a completely different game. This It was tight for me between this and Gloomhaven. I think this might be my favorite game of the year just because every time I play it, it's so different and so unique and interesting. Um, and as a co-op, if you know me at all, for me to pick a co-op game as one of my favorites of the year, that's, that's high praise indeed. Um, that's Spirit Island from Greater Than Games. Yeah, I didn't think that we'd probably ever see a co-op game, at least... Not at this level. Yeah, Spirit Island's been an amazing find. A co-op game with asymmetrical gameplay, kind of flipping the game genre upside down. You're not invading an island. You are defending the island, and you're defending the island using these native people and being this these native spirits that, are, that play very differently, but don't play so radically differently and so difficultly that it would take an hour to teach how to play each spirit differently. Phenomenal game, great production, great artwork, definitely something you should take a look at. All right, and my final game, and as Anthony said, yeah, as Anthony said, it's hard to look back at 2017 and, and pick our favorites. But one of the most surprising games and one of my favorite games and one of the games that snuck on, up on me as far being my favorite and being something I carry around with me everywhere now is Lisboa. Now, Lisboa is by Vitaliserta and Eagle Griffin Games. This was originally a Kickstarter game. Anthony backed it, and it was something I was looking at, but wasn't too sure up until the last second. When I got a chance to see it at Origins and got to talk to its designer, it was something that intrigued me even more. Not just because thematically it kind of fit with the history that it was trying to display, but thematically it played correctly. It played like you knew what to do next based upon what thematically should happen next. This game is heavy. It does play long. But in my most recent play of this game, which was down to about two, two and a half hours with teaching, it's something that you could get to the table, play, feel like you really had some interesting decisions, and really had an enjoyable experience based upon all the different things that you can do. Lisboa has been a phenomenal experience, and even at the high price point, it's something that everyone should either pick up or get a chance to sit down and play. 100% agree. And I also find it kind of interesting that all four of the games we picked were kickstarted in some way. Yeah. Well, it's nice to see that the genius is represented and kind of supported here, and it's good to see those designers are getting their great work out there. All right, so that's BGA's 2017 awards our top games hopefully 
in 2017, you've got a chance to play these games, get them to the table. If you haven't, definitely check them out or pick them up on a holiday sale. We'll definitely ensure that you'll have a great holiday season. Until next time, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And we'll save you a seat at the table.